What is God focused on? We are living in a time where focus is really hard to get a hold of. Now, maybe I'm just getting old, Mar, starting to talk like an old man, starting to think like an old man. And there's a good possibility that's true. But, man, we're living in a distracted time. We're living in a time where people are so distracted. And, and in, in, in some cases, I even understand the reason for the distraction. We're living in a world that is not only distracted, but the world is distracting. So everybody that we're living with, everywhere we're going, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, they're distracted and they're distracting. And see, the problem with focus is, is focus is that which sets aside distractions and narrows in on that which is important. Not urgent, not loud, important. And as Christians, we're called to be watchful. Jesus said, you won't know the day or the hour when I'm going to return, but the way that you'll know is that you are to be watchful. Well, the only way to be watchful is to maintain your focus. You can't daydream. You can't wander off into la-la land, or you won't be watching. And so I don't think I need to preach to you or to make the case to you of why it's so important for us to be focused. But now on the basis of that, let me again ask you the question, what is God focused on? Because I can affirm to you that unlike us, God is not distracted. God hasn't lost his way. God hasn't lost his thoughts. God hasn't forgotten what this is all about. He hasn't forgotten you. He has not lost track of you. You may think he has, but he hasn't. So what is God focused on? And with that question in mind, let me take you to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and the first part of 29. The Apostle Paul, we know verse 28. It's a familiar verse of Scripture. We, as Christians, hold on to this. We love this verse. And we know, Paul says, that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So pause there for a moment. We love that verse. We like to quote that verse to ourselves. We like to quote that to our friends when troubles are happening. We, like, we usually quote it when bad things are happening because we seem to understand when the good things happen how that pays off. But God's going to work it all together for your good. Well, it actually doesn't say for your good. It's for good. But the point is, is that we, we, we like to quote this verse. But the problem is, is that we, as we typically do, we don't read far enough. Because the next verse tells us why. Why is it that God will take, why is it that God will focus, why is it that God will exert all of his power and his knowledge to take everything in this life and work it together for good? You see, the why, Simon Sinek is not the smartest man in the world. He just happened to have tapped into something that's true. The why matters because the why tells you what your motivation is. The why tells you what your focus is. So what's God's why? Why is he going to go to extraordinary efforts in a broken world, in a messed up world, 
to take everything you and I experience, good and bad, uplifting and depressing, and work it together for good if we love him and are called according to his purpose. Why is God going to do this? Here's why. Because, Paul says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, please understand, this is not Calvinistic theology, that you have no choice. No, God made a choice before time began about humanity. And that includes you. That includes me. That includes all of the humans of the earth. That's why he came to the cross and he died for the sin of the world. He died for all of the sin of the world. He died for your sin, my sin, my participation in the sin of the world, your participation in the sin of the world. He died for every bit of it. That's why Aaron could go down in the waters of baptism and with confidence know that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed her clean from sin. So this predestination is not that he took away your choice, but rather he determined, he foreknew you because God is outside of time. So he sees everything all at once. He foreknew you and he determined ahead of time what he wanted. What is it that he wants? He wants you and I to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the rest of the verse doesn't matter, at least for the context of today and what I'm focused on today. The Apostle Paul writes like I talk, okay? He never stops. So if you're going to do anything in a reasonable amount of time, you have to cut him off, which, by the way, that's how it works with me too, okay? Now, be smart about where you cut me off because I do have some wisdom to give to you, but there's a certain point where you got to go, okay, Steve, I got it. I got to go. It's okay. I won't be offended. Because guess what? If I have more to say that I really want you to hear, I won't let you go. Ask Leela. I have no problem saying, no, 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 I'm not done. you got to hear this point. God works everything together for good because he wants you and he wants me conformed to the image of his son. He works everything together for good. All the bad, all the sin, all the brokenness, all the blessings. Everything works together in his hands because he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if I'm right on that, if that's true, if so far I've not stretched or bent the scriptures, if that makes sense to you, then I need to ask a second question. My first question it was, what is God focused on? It looks like he's focused on conforming us to the image of his son. And if that's the case, if that's what God is focused on, then the question becomes, what is the process of conformation? How is it that he conforms us to the image of his son? How does this occur? How do we achieve this? And actually, it's how does he achieve because I can tell you right now, I can't work everything together for good. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a doer. I make stuff happen. You, you hang around me, I will. If something ain't moving, I'll make it move. But I can't make it move in such a way that it always comes together for good. I mean, no matter what it is, it's good. No matter what it is, it turns into good. No matter what it is, it produces good. No matter what it is, it can be used for the good. I can't do that. 
Anybody in here think you can? There are things in life that I face that I, I, it's just evil. There are things in life that I just face, I don't have an answer. There are things in life that I don't have a solution. But God says, look, I work, Paul says, we know. Not we think, not we surmise, not we hope, not we have faith. No, he says, we know that everything works together for good. Why? Why is God going to do that? Why is God committed like that? What is this focus of his? It's because he wants everything to be a part of the process of bringing us back to the confirmation, not confirmation, but conformation. It's basically formation with the image of his son. So how does he do this? Well, let me take you forward to one verse of Scripture a little bit later in this same book, this same letter that Paul wrote, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Now, those of you that are paying close attention, those of you that aren't, start. Those of you that are paying close attention, you should have heard something here that looks to be a little bit in conflict. Why is God working all things together for good? Because he wants us conformed to the image of his son. But here, and you've heard me preach this, here you see that there seems to be, the Apostle Paul is saying, confirmation is not good, transformation is good. And the reason is, is because this word, confirmation, be not conformed to this present world, if you go and you look at that original word and you look at its meaning, it is superficial changes. My dad gave me an example that always sticks in my mind of what confirmation is. From what I understand, my father-in-law and a few others probably have memory of this, but back in the, I think, probably 50s, 60s, 70s, IBM was a big deal. If you worked at IBM as a man, you wore a white shirt and a skinny black tie. You weren't birthed with a white shirt and skinny black tie. You didn't wear a white shirt and skinny black tie all the time. That's conformation. It's an external putting on or taking of some kind of identity. It doesn't change who you are. It's just an external presentation. The Apostle Paul here in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 is saying, do not do this. The world wants you to play its game. It wants you to take on all of its surface fixation. It wants you to do all of this conforming. Do not be conformed. But instead, the Apostle Paul says, you should be transformed. Now here's what's really cool. Guess what? Because words can take on different meanings, different permutations. But a lot of words have common core roots, if you will. Guess what the root of he wants us conformed to the image of his son and Paul's statement in Romans chapter 12 that we should be transformed. It's the same root. And it's what Sister Meg preached about a couple weeks ago called morphoses. That's the root. And morphoses, and I don't need to re-preach Sister Meg's message, is not about a surface change. 
Morphoses is about a complete transformation of the very being. You were once a caterpillar that crawled on the ground and ate a certain kind of food, and now you are a butterfly that flies through the air and eats a different kind of food. It is a substantial internal change of who you are. So, I asked you the question, how is God going to bring about this that he's focused on, this conformation of us to the image of his son? We are conformed to the image of his son through the transformation of our mind. The way that we become more and more like Jesus, the way we were intended to be, is that God takes all the good and all the bad. He takes all the crap that you deal with in life and he takes all of the blessings. He takes everything that overwhelms you and depresses you. He takes all the stuff that is unfair to you and the stuff where it's been unfair that you got the blessing. He takes everything of life and he's not worried about whether you're rich or you're poor. He's not worried about whether you're healthy or you're sick. He's not worried about what kind of house you live in. He's not worried about any of the terrestrial things that you and I are worried about. He is focused constantly. Everything you face, everything you experience, everything you're dealing with, he works it together to bring about an inner transformation of how you think so that you are conformed to the image of his son. He's not looking for surface stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't change the innards without changing the outards. I don't even know if that's a word, but go with me. But God's not, God's not worrying about all that outward stuff first. He's worried about the inward transformation. You see, as he changes how we think, he conforms us back to the image we were created in the likeness of in the first place. Now here you you, you got to go back to the to the Genesis account. God makes all this earth, plants, trees, animals, stars, the sky, he creates the world. And then he says, now, I want to make a creature in my image with my likeness. So he makes humans, male and female, in his image and after his likeness. We, none of us, are still in that image. I think the best analogy or picture I can give for you is the idea of if you looked at yourself in a mirror and then somebody came along or even yourself and you broke that mirror and it cracked in a multitude of directions, you can still see, but it's fractured. It's marred. It's imperfect. This is our image. This is our likeness. You still kind of get a sense of what we're supposed to be, but we're not quite there. It's not we're all evil, but, but we certainly aren't all good. 
And into that picture, into that broken world, God steps and he says, now, I'm going to take everything that they experience, everything Steve experiences, everything. And I really don't care whether he likes what I take. I'm not in the business of trying to help him escape troubles. I'm not in the business of having him escape sorrow. I'm not in the business of trying to help him just have this best life. If you're here to try to have this prosperity doctrine, this idea that when you come to God, he's the biggest sugar daddy and he's just going to make your life perfect, you're coming to the wrong church. You're talking to the wrong preacher. You also are looking at the wrong Bible. you got to go find somebody else's Bible because the Bible that we preach doesn't preach that. Because you see, God's not focused on that. He's not distracted by the glitter of this world. He's not distracted by the riches of this world. He's not distracted by this life that is here today and gone tomorrow like a puff of smoke. He's not distracted. God is very focused. And he's focused on this person that I see, that I love, and that I care for. I want to return them to what they were meant to be in the first place. God is not working all things together for good so that we can have a good life, be rich, get what we want, or any other temporal goal of this life. That's what I want. And all of you that are sitting there judging me right now, come on, man, let's be honest. I know we got kindness coming this week, but we just dealt with honesty, remember? (laughs) Honesty. And I am a bearer of honesty. I'm a truth teller. Stop lying to yourself and stop trying to lie to me. Don't tell me you don't want money. Don't tell me you don't want fame. Don't tell me. You might not want my fame, but you want some kind of fame. You want some kind of respect. You want some kind of this. And I'm not telling you that you won't get some of it. I'm telling you this God that we serve is not focused on that. He doesn't care if it's bad or it's good. He doesn't care if it's riches or it's poverty. He doesn't care if it's blessings or cursings. He will work everything you face in this broken world. He will work it together for good so that he can bring you in into conformity to what you were meant to be in the first place, perfect and without blemish. God is focused on restoring us to our original design by transforming our minds. Those of you who have been around here for a while, you've heard me many times muse or talk about what is it that makes us in God's image and after his likeness. God did amazing things in creating the animals and, and the world, but there's something different about us. What is it? And I've often said to you, there might be many other pieces, but at least one of them is how our minds work. We think different than the animals. You have a huge wildfire, animals are running away from it. Humans are the only ones dumb enough to be running towards it. Do we really not know that it's hot and we can die? No, but we have this capacity to overrule ourselves. I think that and many other aspects are those fractured pieces of the image of God still within us. So it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul says, the way that you are going to be transformed is by changing how you think. Now, I want you to understand that when that word transformation 
You understand that at its root, it's the same word as what we see earlier in chapter 8 of conformation. I want you to understand, you cannot transform your own mind. You cannot conform your own being to the image of his son. But God will take everything. If you will just let him, God will take everything you face, every trial, every blessing, every piece of your life, all the crap that's come down from the genetic pool to you, all the bad jokes that your grandfather taught you how to say. Y'all were a little slow there, but anyway. He's going to take everything, and I mean everything. I'm not here to tell you to hold your head high and be proud of your brokenness, but I'm also here to tell you there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You do not hang your head because everything that you've ever faced, everything you've ever had, everything when you love God and are called according to his purpose, he will work it together for good because he's going to move and transform your thinking to bring you into conformity to his image. <laughs> this is good news. This is good news. It's all, give me my title slide. It's all about the image of his son. By the way, I have no idea what this graphics image is, but my graphics team put it together, and it was better than my other one. So if you want to know the, the mindset behind it, go see Sister Joyce and her team. But I thought it was cool. So you all can sit there and contemplate it for a while. You see, Romans chapter 12 Paul says, when this transformation occurs, you will come to know what God's will is. Not your will, God's will. And when you get to, when, when your mind begins to transform to God's will, then you will know what is good. Then you will know what is well-pleasing. And then you will know what is perfect. In other words, the broken mirror gets put back together. Well, I thought, I thought this was a Pentecostal church. It is. Well, I thought the focus of Pentecostals is all about repentance. Well, it includes that, but that's just part of the process. I thought, I thought Pentecostals were all about baptism in Jesus' name. We are. I just told you. We welcomed Aaron. She got baptized right there in that water. We stuck her, stuck her picture up on Facebook. I hope you were okay with that because we plastered it everywhere. <laughs> we were excited. Yep, you look like a drowned cat, but it's all right. We put you up on Facebook. You look good this morning. Did he just say that she looked bad then? No, that's not what I said. Just said she looked like a drowned cat. You go down in those waters and see if you don't look like a drowned cat. Well, Arash doesn't, but he doesn't have any hair to look like a drowned cat for. Yeah, we believe in baptism. That's why we baptized Aaron in the wonderful name of Jesus. But that's only part of the process. It don't stop there, Aaron. Please, please, please hear me. Don't stop right there. Well, isn't it all about the Holy Ghost? You guys are Pentecostals. You're spirit-filled believers. It's all about the Holy Ghost. Oh, absolutely. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, is part of the process. But I'm telling you right now, God's not as focused on it as we are. It's part of the process. Pursuit of holiness. We're a holiness people. Absolutely we're a holiness people. But don't get the cart before the horse. You can't be holy unless he makes you holy. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you clean up your act. I don't care how you dress it up. You're just going to act like you work for IBM. No, the transformation comes through his actions. 
Pursuit of holiness is part of the process. The testing of your faith is part of the process. Persecution and suffering and even achievements. Yes, and even falling short. These are all part of the process. But God is not focused upon that. He knows that we know that all things work together in his hands. And they work together for good because he's focused on conforming you to his image. Back to what you were meant to be. It's all about the image of his son. Musicians, if you'd come, I'm drawing to a close. I've had moments in my walk with God where I was... I was caught by surprise. Now, those of you that work closely with me, this will not surprise you. The rest of you, you're going to have to take your judgment hats off, okay? But you got to understand something about me. I'm somebody who makes the world move. I don't take no for an answer. Period. I am a Christian. So I've tried to I've tried to take that dominant personality and I've tried to use it for the kingdom. But the bottom line is is that still my default response is when things don't go the way I think that they should go. I'm going to do something about it. I learned a long time ago that I had a I ran hot I can get mad. I don't think anybody here has ever seen me where I, I've not been in control. I've told you the story of the time I came out of a cabin at a camp meeting and my glasses had been broken in the middle. I was a total nerd, had them taped. Come out the door and they were throwing water balloons at the cabin. I don't remember, Steve, if you were there or not. You might have been. They're throwing water balloons and I don't really care about dressing up, but I do like to take care of my stuff for some reason. And they were just sheeting my, my dress clothes. Just soaking them. And so I, I headed out that cabin door. And I don't know why, Amy, but my hand dragged behind me. There was a broom there. And I, and I went out that door. And that broom was in my hand when I came out that door. And I got out that door and a water balloon hit me right there. And my glasses were broke. Now I can't see. And Rick, without even thinking about it or anything, that broom came up. And just a flash of a moment. I had beat the tar out of a big old boy. I mean, laid six lashes on his back. He was a tall boy. He was running with all his might to get away from me. I remember thinking in my head, I was a weird kid. I remember thinking in my head, ooh, kid, you better figure out how to handle this or you're going to hurt your wife. You're going to hurt your wife. I didn't have a wife. I didn't even have a prospect of a wife. But I was hoping. I had, I had hope. I had hope I'd find one that was dumb enough, smart enough, I don't know which one to go with, to marry me. I realized, man, you ran red on that one. I turned around, I, you understand my heart, I've always been, I've always tried to be kind because I turned around and within 30 seconds I'm standing there looking at the guy saying, I'm sorry. 
I mean, I broke the head of that broom off and stroked that boy's back, just laid him out. My instincts, you cross me, that's the last thing you'll do. I told you, you're going to have to take your judgment hats off because some of you got different personalities than that. Some of you are genuinely sweet people. You're devious. You're sneaks. But you're genuinely sweet on the exterior. I'm not. Surprise. A few years back, something happened that drastically impacted my life. It's not important. Those of you that have been around here, you'll know what I'm referring to. It's not important for this right here, but something happened in my life, and I was crossed. I faced something, and something was taken from me. I experienced loss. I experienced hurt. And I realized I was at jeopardy. I've been walking with this God. He'd been been working in me long enough that I knew I was in jeopardy. I knew this could turn me bitter. I knew this could make me nasty. I knew this could go really bad for me. And so I I began to pray. I said, God, I need you to to not let this define me. I didn't even understand what I preached to you this morning. It's one of the biggest hurts I've ever experienced in my life. Partway through this process of me praying this, God says, you need to forgive the person. Okay, I, I understand that. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So I, so I begin to pray to forgive this person. It was none of you. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't Leela. Rosh didn't even make this list. Then the Lord come out of nowhere. A few months go by and he says to me, he says, now begin to pray for their success. Okay, it's one thing for me to say to God, I don't want to be defined by this. It's another thing to understand the scriptures that says you need to forgive in order to be forgiven. But God, it took something from me. God, that cost me. God, that was suffering. I didn't do anything wrong. And you want me to pray for their success? And Rick, what caught me off guard was as he spoke those words into my spirit, Instead of what I have known for years about me that needed to be tamped down, that needed to be brought under the blood, which is, if it's the last thing I do, I will make you pay for having done that. I dropped my head. And with genuineness, I mean, I was almost out of body, looking at myself going, who is this person? I begin to pray for their success, and I have not stopped praying for their success. I'm not talking about I'm praying because I'm afraid. No, I really want them, despite 
the mistake and the wrong that they did to me. I want them to succeed. Now, before you start going, well, of course, you're the preacher. You're more spiritual. No, 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 no. You need to stop for a second. That is not who I am. That is not my broken image. That is not how I operate. I make things move, and if you get in my way, I run you over. That's how I normally operate. But you see, God has been working over the years with good and bad, and he's been working it together, and he's been transforming my thinking, and he's been bringing it so that suddenly there's this momentary thing of confirmation to what I'm supposed to be. Confirmation to the image of His Son. And my dear brothers and sisters, I need you to understand today, that is what God is focused on. He might give you wealth and He might not. He may heal your body or He may leave you sick. I don't have an answer for you about all of the decisions that he'll make there. But I'm telling you this morning, what he's focused on is about your mind being transformed so that you are being returned step by step, increment by increment, piece by piece, back to the image of his son. You see, Jesus Christ was the word made flesh. He was the image of the invisible God. All things were made by him and was not anything made that was made except by him. So when God created humanity in his image, male and female, we were created in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. You know what's so powerful about this? No human can take it away from you. I don't know why I feel to go here, but no human who has raped you can take it away from you. No human who has stole from you can take it away from you. No human who has spoken down to you can take it away from you. No human who has neglected to protect you when you were a child can take it away from you. Because we know, not we hope, not we think, not maybe, we know that all things work together for good because he's here to step by step conform us to the image of his son through the transformation of how we think this is why it's good news Don't tell your neighbor or your friend the gospel because you're trying to save them from hell. Don't go fearful. Tell them the good news. There's a God who sees them. He's seen them since the moment of their conception and he's been working nonstop through all of the crap and through all of the bad and through all of the pain and through all of the suffering. He's been working to transform them so that they can be brought back to the image of what they were intended to be. So if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, I'd encourage you to study your scriptures. And if you understand what we've preached to you, then let us baptize you in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you have sin that you need to repent of, absolutely repent of it. If you're here today and you haven't received the gift of His Spirit, speaking in other tongues, come and ask Him for it. But please understand something, church. Those are all pieces of the process. This process never stops until the death or the rapture 
So you see, I can't get as depressed about what we're going through right now as I want to be. Because he's using COVID to work on us. He's using the political unrest to work on us. He's using the economic problems to work on us. He's even using crazy preachers like me who have enough gumption to stand up in front of you and say, guess what, guys? I don't know where I'm going, but my time here is drawing to a close. He's using that to work on me, and he's working on you. All the fears, all the unknowns, all the unanswered questions, it's all working together for good to bring about the confirmation of you and of me to the image of his son by transforming how we think. So this morning, I close with a final question. Are you willing to submit? Submission is giving up. Submission is not obedience. I'm obedient at times, but I'm not submitted. I've given you this example many a time. I'm obedient. Tax season's on us, right? I hope you all are going to be obedient. Pay your taxes. But I'll tell you why I pay my taxes. It's not because I like the government. It's not because I like whoever's president. And by the way, I haven't liked paying my taxes under Democrats, and I haven't liked paying my taxes under Republicans. And if an independent got in there, I wouldn't like paying taxes under them. I haven't liked paying taxes under all the men that were presidents. And when a woman becomes president, I won't like paying taxes then either. Color of their skin won't matter. I don't like paying taxes. I like to keep my money. But I'm obedient. Because I know the IRS can do stuff to me. Some of you are at the place of obedience. I'm calling to you today and say, can you move from obedience to submission? It's like, not my will, thy Lord, but thy will be done. I actually want what you want. That's a whole different ballgame. Not can I weasel my way to get you to do what I want. No, I want what you want. If he gives me a choice, Lord, what do you want? If he gives me the freedom, what do you want? Because when you submit, you're now working with God instead of against God. As he transforms the way you think. And he begins to conform you step by step back to the image of his son. I'm done. This altar's open. Can we turn this into a house of prayer for a moment? Can we give God a chance to talk in particular? There might be something he needs to say to you in particular. I've not dealt with anything specifically. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're concerned about. He knows all of this. Would you give him an opportunity to talk to you? Oh, Jesus, change us. Help us, almighty God. Yes, Jesus. God, you've got to work it all together for our good. You've got to work it all together. I I can't do it, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't have the ability. But you, you almighty God, you know how to work it together. You know how to take my broken life. You know how to take my brokenness, Lord, and use it for your good.